Hello, everyone. Welcome. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are. My name is Marilyn Shannon, and I welcome you today to the Breaking Free Show. And, oh, my, do we have a show for you. We have a great show in store. It's really a fabulous story, great show. But before we get started, I want to say hi to Amnon. How are you? I am just fine. How are Good. you? I'm doing great, actually. I'm excited. Things are going well. We just sold our house. Congratulations. Thank you. So if I get a little crazy in the next several weeks, you'll know why. Because yeah, thank well. goodness we've packed as much as we have and moving uh, closer to my children, not too far from Amnon, of course, and our show, but, you know, closer to my children. So that should be a really nice experience. You're doing all right otherwise? Just fine. Good. All right, so let's get on with the show. So you know, if you've watched this before, we are talking about issues, ideas, strategies. We bring in stories, philosophy, tools that will help break us free from whatever it is. And, and you know, what does freedom mean anyway? Freedom means that we are free from something, right? So even whatever step you take, into doing something, towards something, a new path, a career, relationship, whatever it is. A bit at a time is a freedom step at a time. And we, we encourage everyone out there to take these steps with us. And we love to bring in stories that will help inspire us, educate us, that, so that we can keep on doing that. And, there, and a lot of our guests are freedom su survivors. They are people who have shared their freedom, have created freedom from themselves, are talking about it, have done something where they have moved forward. And my guest is the epitome of that. And before we get started, I do want to invite any one of you out there to please feel free, all of you, anytime during the show, to call in to our studio if you are on a phone, 919-518-9773. Or you can chat with us in our chat. You can put your name, nickname, whatever you like, near our video and a whole big box will open up, and you can ask us questions, comment, whatever you like in there. And you can also come in on Skype at computers, that's plural, then the number 2K voice, anytime you like during the show. So today our guest is Leon Malmed. He was born in France on October 4th, 1937. He is a Holocaust survivor. He immigrated to the United States in 1964. He lived 18 years in New York. He was a resident of the San Francisco Bay Area and now lives in South Lake Tahoe with his wife, who I just had the pleasure of meeting. Uh, after 60 years of total silence, which is not unusual, a lot of people don't like to talk about it, I personally have a hard time even listening to it. So can you imagine somebody who's lived through the Holocaust talking about it? It's hard. So after 60 years of total silence, he is now and has been sharing his childhood during the Holocaust and the aftermath. Leon published his memoir, first in French in 2010, and then in English in 2013 and in 2015 in Spanish. His books are available on Amazon, Lulu, Kindle, and Audible. And I'm going to show you a picture of it, first of all. And I... I'm just so pleased and honored to invite him onto the show and to share the rest of his story, which I will tell you, I was reading his book, and it's fabulous. Go right there and buy it. The detail, the information, the humanness and the emotion is throughout this book, and it's, it really is beautiful. So let me welcome Leon to our show. Hey, Leon. Hello, Marilyn. How are you? I'm just great. Thank you very much. It's a beautiful day here in Tahoe. We are supposed to get snow, but uh, I see blue sky. And as uh, soon as we came on, the clouds parted. Really? Yes. It, so what? Are, that must mean something really good, huh? It is. <laughs> We've had enough of snow for the next two years. Okay. Not really. I, I like to ski. <laughs> so. Wonderful. So, Leon, tell us about you and the silence. Yes, I uh, was born in France uh, in 1937, a long time ago. 
And uh, for some reason, I never thought I would see year 2000, but I, not only I saw year 2000, but I passed by and I'm still flying. In France, that uh, my parents immigrated from uh, Poland in 1931, uh, just to get away from the hatred, from the big bleak life and uh, no future. They came to France, uh, they were married in France, and my sister was born a year later, 1932, and I followed five years later, 1937. They were very happy in France. Uh, my father was a tailor, my mother was a seamstress, and they made children's clothes that they sold on the open market. So for 11 years, they were very happy until Hitler came into the picture in uh, 1940, in 1939, actually, the war was uh, declared. And uh, my father, who was not a French citizen, enlisted immediately. The, he was on the front line for quite a while because nothing happened until uh, May of uh, 1940. And at uh, that time, uh, Germany invaded France and the war lasted three weeks. French forces capitulated very quickly and France was invaded uh, in almost immediately. So Leon, before we go into the rest of that, the detail in the story, part of the, the, the big, the, uh, I guess the big message and the title of your book, We Survived and At Last I Speak. Why 60 Years of Silence? Before you, like, before you go into the detail, why is that so important that you're now speaking? Emotionally, I couldn't handle it. It was not possible. I don't remember how many times I tried, but uh, even today, it's still very difficult for me to speak and to see the images that are still very vivid in uh, my memory. In addition, that I just simply didn't think that people would be interested. And I did not even share it with my family uh, because I didn't want them to be unhappy. Uh, we always strive for positive thinking and uh, this is not positive thinking. The reason why I decided to speak is because holocausts are still with us today. Hatred, religious hatred and uh, racial hatred is still, are still with us. What can I do in my very, very small way to prevent a, a reoccurring of what happened 70 years ago? 70 years ago in the history of men is a very short time. And that's the reason why I decided to talk. And I was wrong in the sense that I do feel that people are extremely interested in the Holocaust more and more. And no one, of course, wants to see it happening again. And I think that I'm asking, actually, whenever I make a presentation to audiences, that they request that their religious leaders, as well as their educators, teach the Holocaust and the lessons of the Holocaust. Mm -hmm. I hear you, and I and I, I really do honor you for for. And I, I can't imagine what it was like. Your detail in your book was put me there as much as anything else, and no movie. I don't know if it's because I'm older now, but there has never been a movie or a book that I've read or an article that I have that I've read that has actually emotionalized me into being there as much as yours did. And I didn't fall apart like I sometimes can imagine I have and will, but there was some there was a way that you wrote it that was that I could I could stand it 
and I, and I could I could feel it and I could stand it and I didn't try to deny it. So I want to thank you for that. Thank you. You're welcome. I don't know what you did and how you wrote it, in in the detail because you did give detail. I mean, you weren't, you know, you gave plenty of detail, but you also managed to um, share, you know, the good things too, and you know the things that were that you you know were were blessed with as well. So I really I I thank you. So the rest. So go on with. Um, sharing your story the as a, the yes the the people, the soldiers who were caught in uniform uh, were taken prisoners to germany and where they spent the next five years our father somehow found some civilian clothes and was able to come back to us so he came back to us, and uh, since uh, our town was actually, the center of the town was destroyed by Hitler as a revenge on our town that had hosted the signing of the armistice in a railroad car in a forest outside of the town, uh, had ordered the town to be destroyed. And he came himself, actually, so I was uh, probably about one kilometer, which is a little bit more than half a mile away from him. I did not see him. That, of course, we did not uh, go and uh, cheer him up. But he was there, and he danced a jig at uh, that place where the First World War Amistice was signed. Uh, he started his campaign, or Hitler started his campaign in 1919, very unhappy that uh, Germany had capitulated. And where did they capitulate? Uh, in Compiègne, which is my hometown. So the, our father came back to us, and for about uh, almost a year, a little bit more than a year, nothing uh, had happened uh, before the invasion. And uh, as soon as the invasion came in, within weeks, actually, or maybe days, that uh, the, the censure on uh, the, the rules and regulations about Jewish people started. Okay. All right. Hold on one second. I just want to also say that um, Leon's parents, uh, and there's magnificent pictures in the book, but they were beautiful and they were loving and they cared about each other and they were high spirited and they were wonderful parents. Just so you all have that background as well. How long was your father gone that time for? Uh, he was gone almost a year. An, almost a year. So that was yeah. very difficult on his mother and on his sister and on his, and on Leon as well, that his father was gone and they had a very difficult time surviving, right? They certainly did, yes, yes. So at that time that uh, the restrictions on Jewish people in our town start, started, the fact that uh, there were probably five to 600 uh, Jews in uh, Compiègne before the uh, beginning of, before the war, at the end of the war, Rachel, my sister, and I were the only survivors, actually, in the town who had spent the year, the uh, three years in uh, hiding. So the, so it, all these restrictions came in. It was just, uh, just absolutely horrible until that uh, infamous morning of July 19, 1942, at five in the morning, there was a beautiful Sunday and a beautiful blue sky. And uh, the French French gendarmes, five of them came, three stayed downstairs, making sure no one would escape. And two came upstairs to the third floor apartment where we lived, knocked on the door and asked our parents to uh, join them, uh, to immediately come with them with uh, some overnight uh, clothes, whatever they could take uh, with them in a suitcase, uh, to the uh, police station. Not giving them any reasons for their arrest. And of course, my, uh, our parents were just uh, pulling their hair, said, what are we going to do? Why, uh, what are we going to do with our children? The noise woke up our neighbors downstairs, Christian uh, couple with two sons. 
And they came up to see what was going on in this very quiet neighborhood at five in the morning on a Sunday. And uh, our parents told them what was happening and they didn't know what to do with us. Uh, they only arrested actually foreign people, immigrant foreign people. And my parents were still Polish at the time because there was no way for them in those days to become French citizens. And uh, the Papa Henri, Monsieur, Monsieur Henri Riboulot, uh, just pronounced a few words that would save our lives. Actually, we didn't know at the time. He said, do not worry, Mr. and Mrs. Barmed, that we will take care of your children until you return. Probably thinking that they would come back the next day, the next week, a month later, two months later. Well, so that was the last time that we would ever see our parents. And that is actually my first memory, uh, the only childhood memory that I have of my parents, my hanging on my, my mother's dress. And uh, they went away, and little did we know that we would never see them again. So uh, that's how it started our uh, three-year stay with complete strangers who were the nicest, the most courageous, the most heroic people in the world. And they are two sons. Uh, Le one. Okay. Leon, um, and I'm so sorry to interrupt you, but I, there's things that I want to bring up to our audience. As you go forward, I, I just want to lay some other groundwork um, that you, uh, you were how old at the time? You were how old? Four and a half. Four and a half. And your sister was how old? She was nine. She was nine. So just just know once again that Leon, they did not know this was happening. And his father did not, did not believe that they would be arrested. He thought that at that time they were going to only go after the Jews that were prominent Jewish families with money and that he could kind of slip through and that they would not notice. So my question to you is, why did the police, do you have any idea why the police did not take you and your sister at the time? Yes, because my sister and I were French, and at the time, uh, the, the Nazis were, in their madness, were very smart. They didn't want, really, to upset the French population. And, uh, you know, anti-Semitism was practically non-existent in, uh, in France at the time. And they were considered like normal people. So why are you arresting these people and no one else? Although they arrested other people besides the Jewish people, uh, anyone who pretended or was denounced as communist, uh, gypsies. Um, homosexuals, you said. Homosexuals, exactly, yeah. yes. Uh, so they were also arrested, called uh, what I call un undesirables. Mm -hmm. So that's the reason why they only arrested uh, early on in 1942 uh, the non, well, the immigrants, uh, non-citizens. And of course, they came back later on, the next year, in 1943 and 1944, they came to arrest us many, many times. And somehow we were always able to escape uh, those uh, roundups. And that's the reason why we were the only two survivors in the town who had stayed, overstayed the, the war. And, and not that many children, period. Well, they were children. In fact, that uh, in uh, 19, it, it was, uh, yeah, in 1944, they came to arrest us, and we were saved, actually, by a coffee spill. Somehow, the driver, who was a French driver, uh, told us after the war what happened is that someone had spilled coffee on the list of people to be picked up. And we were the very first people to be picked up, and he couldn't read the address. So the, uh, the Nazis, the SS, uh, told him to pick everyone else. Uh, to round up everyone else, and they had to go back to the commandanteur, get our address, and by the time they came back, actually, whom I call Maman Suzanne, saw the truck, 
and was coming back from work at lunchtime on her bicycle and uh, was able actually to beat the truck by about two minutes and she was screaming, get out, get out. And uh, I did get out. I was eight years old at the time. My sister wasn't there, but I had stayed home because I was sick. So I crossed the, I came down the stairs, crossed the garden, went over the wall and hid for a while in the fields. And then uh, Papa Henri got me there, and we went somewhere else after that. So but on the same on yeah. the same day, I'm sorry. No, go ahead. Go ahead. On the same day, a little cousin, uh, who was a year younger than I was, who had been hidden. His name was Charles. We called him Charlo, and he's been he had been hidden by another Christian French family. Uh, after his parents were taken away the same day, the same morning as our parents actually were taken two years prior. And despite the fact that uh, the, this couple volunteered to leave with the SS instead of the, the child, the father did and the daughter did. Uh, they the uh, SS officers said, no, you're not Jewish blood, and we only want Jewish blood. So they threw Charlot, who was, uh, I think he was about five at that time, five or, yeah, five or six, five and a half, threw him in a truck, and uh, he was deported to Auschwitz with 279 children. None of them survived. Um, um. I have to grab hold for a second. How, uh, so how did your mama and, the, and your papa, the French family, how did they all s survive themselves having you there? I mean, if they knew where you were or other people knew, how did they keep it a secret? <laughs> yes. To this day, I'm still wondering. <laughs> so it is... It is almost an unbelievable story, and uh, I'm here today to talk about it. But the the, uh, the these people were just unbelievable people. Uh, after my parents left, they continued to pay for the apartment, the rent of the apartment, for three years out of a very very small salary. And now they have to feed six mouths, and uh, the some number all the people in the streets knew where we were. Uh, the our teachers knew where we were. In those days, I didn't go. We didn't go to school too often. Maybe thirty percent of the time, because there was always something that uh, was preventing us from going. Mostly uh, rumors, roundups, and so on. And uh, there were such there was such a uh, a lack of food that anyone who would denounce an undesirable, including as we said the Jews, the the gypsies, uh, the handicapped, uh, the homosexuals, uh, would be compensated with additional racial uh, food rations. So there was one neighbor in particular, her name was uh, Madame Raymond, who kept asking Papa and Mama, Suzanne and Henri, why are you doing this? That uh, these children are going to be found anyway, and uh, you will be sent to, to camp, so you will be in jail or you will be killed. And she was really worried about herself. And the answer was always the same. We promised their parents that we would take care of them until they returned. That was the, the typical answer. Across the street, there was a lady who was entertaining a, a German officer. And he came, I think he came probably every, every evening. He was brought by a chauffeur there. And we were so concerned. And we're talking about a very small street, a very narrow street. Uh, 
and we were so concerned that you would denounce us. Well, it didn't happen. Uh, down the street and across, there was a farm, and the farmer, the owner by the name of Mr. Van der Noor, was Dutch, spoke perfect German, and every evening, my sister and I would be tasked to go and get a can of milk. It was kind of an aluminum with a contained about a quart of milk. And every, almost every night, there were motorcycles in the courtyard of the farm, and those motorcycles belonged to German soldiers. So we would go in this big room. On the right side, there was a long table with a farmer, Mr. Van der Noor, with a red face, just drinking with the German soldiers. And on the left side was his wife, who didn't seem to be happy about the situation, and we would uh, take our milk. And it was so scary that I can remember to this day, I uh, always was wondering if one of the Germans would say, come and see here, halt! And it never happened either. So I'm here. Wow. I just, I'm, I'm, I'm engrossed, but I do want to offer... Uh, the opportunity for anybody who's listening to please feel free to call in if you want to ask a question or have a comment, 919-518-9773, or you can join us through Skype at computers, that's plural, the number 2K voice, or in our chat. You are welcome to come in there as well. Just put your name in the chat window and you will be there. Listen, Leon, we have a, um, well, there's a, a gentleman on the chat, and he wanted to know what became of your mother and your father. Sixty years after the, the end of the war, the uh, German administration finally opened the archives, and we did find actually what happened to our parents and to our family. We lost altogether 21, 21 members of our families. They were uncle, cousins, aunts. Uh, the, our father and mother were taken to a camp near Paris called Drancy on uh, July 19, 1942. They were deported to Auschwitz 10 days later, on July 29, 1942, in a convoy of a thousand people. Uh, they were 400 and 65 women, and the rest were men. We found out that our father was tattooed on arrival. We also found out from the archives that he was still alive in September of 1944, just a few months before the liberation of the camp by the Russians. Our mother was not tattooed that means that she either died during the transport or she was murdered on the arrival. And, and how do you, I mean, these records that were kept, who actually kept these records? Because I can't imagine with all that went on and with all the people being transported, all the, the people on the trains and all that was going on, the, different, the various camps and all the things that were happening. I mean, how do they keep records? Yes, the Germans uh, kept the record. All these uh, were German records. The German army uh, the, made uh, probably also some collaboration from uh, the French and other governments. The French governments uh, collaborated 110%. There was a, uh, of course, Pétain was, uh, Pétain was an anti-Semite in the first place, and uh, he surrounded himself with... Uh, equally very, very bad people. The chief of police by the name of Mr. Bousquet was the one who organized the roundup of what is called the Veldiv, which was a roundup. He had promised the Nazis that he would round up 20,000 Jews, men, children, and women. Uh, he failed, actually. I hate to say the word failing, but because he only rounded up 13,152 people. What happened to the almost 7,000 people 
they were protected by heroic, courageous French Christian people. We all need to hear those things today, Please. don't we? They sure do. Uh, I'm, I'm writing to, to uh, we have Rob in the chat, and he is your brother-in-law, right? Oh, yes. And yes. I'm inviting him to call in. But what he said was, he said that you are his brother-in-law. And he said, you, are such, you have such an amazing story. And it's amazing how you came to the United States and succeeded in every aspect of your life, considering the traumatic um, younger life that you had, just so you know. So, I, I, you. I, you know, anybody that would like to call in, please do. But if you do call in, just... Wait a moment for us to come to you because we might be just in the middle of something that is hard to um, interrupt. But please call in and we will get to you. And just do me a favor, when you do call in, get away from your computer because we'll, we'll start to hear like a vibration. So where do you want to take us now? There's so much to your story. Would you like to share about the family that you lived with? Would you like to share, I mean, and, and also, I guess, one of the questions I have, and I do want to know about more about the family, is every, how long did it take you to write your book? It took me, the first one took me three years. Uh, this, so what happened is that uh, I wrote a few chapters, which I sent out to a few publishers in the United States, and uh, I didn't hear I, I never did get a negative answer. I just didn't hear from these people. And I just happened to be one day talking to a friend of mine who lives in Paris. And he told me that uh, there was, he knew of uh, a lady who was a professor of uh, French at a college in my hometown who was a writer. And uh, maybe I should talk to her. So I did call her up. And uh, her name is Pascal Martin. Martin. And she just uh, told me that she also had, prob had problems finding a, a publisher. It's a very, very difficult task. So she gave me the name of an organization in France, and I called, and they said, uh, yes, we are very interested in that story, in such a story. Uh, and we only published, actually, two books a year. But you have to have it finished at the time I've already started to write the book, you have to, it has to be in French, and it has to be finished by, I think the date was two years, well, about two years and a few days, a certain date in July. And I said, great. Well, I had no idea how I was going to finish the book. I sometimes I didn't even know what I was going to write in the book. But one thing I found, and it's a good lesson actually for people who intend to write a book, once you start writing, it's just amazing how memories come back. It is just an amazing thing, an amazing process. And I'm writing now a second book actually, and I find it the same, the same, uh, the same way. So I, uh, the, the book was published in France. And I said, now I've got to the task to have it uh, in English. So I hired a lady who lives in Paris, an American lady, and I asked her to translate the very first uh, chapter. She did. It was not great, but I said, well, it would be easier to actually somehow correct uh, what I want to correct than to rewrite the book. And she, she translated the whole book. And I spent about four to six months trying to correct and update and uh, make it uh, like uh, it comes from Lyon. And I couldn't do this. So one day I was so upset that I put all the files in a folder and I dragged the folder on my desktop to the trash so that I would not be tempted to look at it again. And I rewrote the book completely from scratch for the American audience. And uh, I am so happy that I did that. It took me two and a half years. Well, I, I want to say that, Elaine, as you were talking about your story and the publisher, Elaine joined us in the chat. So Elaine is welcome to call in and share with us. And I want to say, which I didn't say in the beginning, was, I don't know, a couple of months ago, I was 
checking my Facebook, and there was a message from Leon, who was w looking to connect with Gabriella Kovacs, who had been on my show once before, who um, had a really interesting survivor story. And he was contacting me, thinking that I was really still connected to her, but I had, I had promoted her show. And so I called Leon, and that's how I came up with and found Leon, and we connected, was through Facebook. So I, you know, it was interesting. We had this really great conversation, and um, now here we are. So um, Elaine, we're so delighted you're in the chat, and if you would like to call in, you are more than welcome to do that. You can check in with us at computers. That's number two, K Voice on Skype, and... She's That's not, it. She's not, not going to call oh, from not, Paris. No, no, no. You're not going to call. Maybe. We don't know. Skype. Yeah. But Skype. Anyway, um, so Leon, I, and I realize, you know, bringing all this up after 60 years of being silent and then having to relive it again as you wrote it must have been, I mean, I mean, I guess his, his sound and his, and his facial expression tells it all, right? I should have titled it Liters of Tears. Wow. So, what was your life like? I mean, I know I mean, it took you. Go ahead, Amnon. Amnon wants to know how long you stayed with the family that took you in. So, that is also another complex story. At the end of the war, uh, which uh, happened uh, in uh, on May, I think it was May 8th, 1945. At that time, we expected our parents to come back any any day, any day. And we waited, waited, nothing happened. A month uh, later or so, Annette and an uncle... Hello, calling from Paris. Oh, Leon, is that Elaine? Elaine, you're calling from Paris. Yes. Yes, Alan Schwarzman, I'm calling from Paris. Well, welcome. Thank you so much for calling in. Yeah, well, it's, it's my pleasure. I found the uh, issue very emotional. Okay. Yeah, well, Elaine, Leon, just, can Elaine, you hear me? Yes, just do me a favor and just walk away. Can you walk yeah, away from well, your computer? Because we're hearing. Yes. Okay. All right. Here we go. If she's on Skype, no. Okay. Um, what you want to do is here. Here, let me tell you what you want to do. On the bottom left, yes. on the bottom left of the video that you're yes. looking, or on the right, depends on which channel you are. There is a volume for the speaker of the video. Turn that speaker down. On the left hand side? On the bottom left of the video. There is a volume for the speaker to make it louder and lower. Yes. Turn yes. it. Turn you want it, me to turn it down? All the way down. Okay. That's what I did. Okay. There you go. So you you um, found the show okay. to be emotional. You were saying. Yes. Uh, well, I know very well Leon, and uh, I um, I know the story of the book from the beginning, and I remember when Leon sent me a few pages to, uh, and I was. Well, it was uh, two or three pages, and uh, I wrote the, those pages. I sent them to my uh, daughter, who, um, who is a writer, and uh, uh, she said, well, he, he must read the book. That's uh, mandatory. And she said, uh, I won't be able to do it because it's not my style, it's not my kind of... Uh, of uh, literature in French, I mean, at that time. And she, uh, she interfaced with, uh, if I remember correctly, Leon, uh, with uh, 
a, a young woman who is a teacher. Uh, by a coincidence, if I remember, she was also from Compiègne. Is that right, Leon? That is correct. Yeah. Her name is Pascal Martin. Martin. Yeah, okay. Well, anyway, um, I was very impressed from the beginning. The whole story is uh, very emotional. And uh, not only... Not only it's emotional for me, but uh, I see you personally, although you have been into uh, many, uh, 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 you, you gave many conferences, you have been giving conferences, uh, not only in the United States, but also in France. And uh, every time I've been at uh, your uh, conference, I was uh, very moved also. Well, Leon, c'était uh, un grand plaisir de te voir. Malheureusement, pour parler de circonstances qui étaient très graves. Excuse me for the few words in French. Okay. Thank you so much for calling Paris. It is a pleasure to hear your voice. Okay, à bientôt, Leon. Bye bye. I'm I'm holding back the tears. My eyes are, are are glossy and watery, and I don't think in all the years I've been doing the show have I had that experience really. So thank you, Elaine, so much for calling in, and you have um, just taken my breath away. So thank you very much, uh, Leon. There's a really we have a question from uh, Chris on our chat, which I think is a really wonderful question to ask you. She wants to know how you took care of yourself emotionally as you wrote the book. <laughs> well, as I said earlier, that uh, it was uh, it, it, it was difficult. Uh, it was difficult, but it was possible. And uh, it was uh, I consumed a, a lot of uh, tissues. So <laughs> Uh, but I was, uh, I, I think that, well, uh, let me just go back a little bit. I'm sorry, I'm hesitant about what I'm going to say. But I made a commitment to myself after the war. And I remember that quite well, actually. I remember when the United, the uh, nation, the Nations Unies, which is uh, the United Nations, was created. I was so happy. I said, there will never be a war again, and no one is going to lose his parents. And unfortunately, it didn't happen, and uh, that was a big disappointment to me. But I did make the commitment at the time that I will be happy, and I will do things in my life to make other people happy and to really help the people in that need. So uh, I had a goal, and the goal was actually education. I just wanted to educate myself. I didn't want to, to be at the mercy of anyone ever. I did that. And then I was very fortunate that I've been married twice. My first wife was just a, a wonderful person as well. Uh, at one time in her life, she just wanted her freedom, which happens to people. No, we, no one belongs to anyone. And uh, I was lucky enough to actually find Patricia, my second wife, 36 years ago. And we've had a, just a, a wonderful life ever since. The education that I went through, that I forced myself to go through, was very, very helpful in achieving what I wanted. And also, I was lucky to have been raised by a wonderful, wonderful family, the Ribolo family. I owe, uh, I owe so much. I, I owe so much to. So you asked me an earlier question that how long did I spend with that family? So I spent uh, the three years of my life, and then I had to, I was forced by a uh, judgment 
uh, to go and live with his uncle and aunt. After two years and the town where we lived was uh, about uh, 40 miles away from uh, the town where I was born and town I had lived until the age of eight. Uh, the town was named San Quentin, uh, which is the same name as San Quentin in California, which is famous for its uh, jail. And I felt uh, for the four years I spent there that I was in jail. I did not get along with my family uh, that I did not know because I was too young before the war. So after two years, uh, they sent my sister, who by the time she was 15 and I was 10, uh, was like my mother to me. And it was uh, an extremely difficult time. Of course, she didn't want to leave. She didn't want to leave without me. And I was promised that I would join her within a month, within six months. It never happened. So for the next 13 years, we never heard each other's voice and we never saw each other. And after she left, that uh, I actually was miserable and I made my uncle and aunt lives miserable. And uh, I decided that I was going to, I was actually uh, 12 years old and decided that I was going to take my life in my own hands. So somehow I managed uh, with the help of the president of the Jewish uh, Association in San Quentin uh, to have them talk to my uncle and aunt, and they let me go back to my, what I considered my second parents. I'd never known my parents, really, so they were like my parents. So I went back there, and I spent the next seven years until I was drafted uh, in the French Air Force uh, to fight the Algerian-French War. And I spent uh, 28 months in the, in the, Air Force, and I was uh, actually, uh, when about a year later, I did get married. So I spent uh, altogether 10 years with this fantastic family. And I was lucky they were wonderful people, a wonderful example. Hmm. Yes, they were. Yes, we, yes, they were. And I, 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 there's another very good question on the chat, and I want to um, ask um, Leon the question. But before I do that, I want to remind you all about this remarkable book. We're not going to get to it all. It's a phenomenal story, everything from the beginning of when his parents, you know, were, were taken, what they must have gone through, all of it. And it's in this remarkable book. And I highly recommend that you get it. And it's, we survived at last I speak. And it's really a phenomenal book. We need to share it with everyone. Everyone needs to read it. Um, and there's many, many more things that I would like to ask um, Leon. But here's a question. And Leon, here you go. It's coming from Rob, so I know it's OK. All right? So after living through such an ordeal, how do you view today's current political climate under President Trump and his desire to ban Muslims from entering the United States? It is a bit too close to what I have been through for comfort. Uh, I uh, do not agree with the process. And uh, I always, my experience is that it starts, actually, these things to start with a minority, but never ends with a minority. I would just like to remind all of us that 72 million people died as a result of World War II. Hitler's was, Hitler was started with the Jews, but also would like us to know that in Poland, for example, of, out of a population of 30 million people, there were 10% population was Jewish. 3 million people died as Jews. However, another 3 million Christians died. So altogether, Poland lost 6 million people. So I would uh, be very careful of anyone who starts discriminating a minority. 
Yep, I hear you. Yep, so anybody else with any other questions, please feel free. I, I really do encourage anyone to call in, 919-518-9773. Remember, this is an opportunity, to me, this is an opportunity of a lifetime. You don't get this opportunity very often to either sit in a room like we, I feel like I'm sitting here with Leon, to be in the company of someone with this amount of information. It's, it's, it's going away. And these, this is the kind of information that we need to know about. This empowers us. What I love what you said, at the mercy, we do not have to be at the mercy of anyone. And that is probably the best line I have ever heard and in, in even putting together this show, the Breaking Free show, I have always said the reason I did this show was so that we could all be empowered, so that we don't have to fall at the mercy, or I didn't even use the word mercy, at the, at the control of somebody else. But in actuality, the reason was, which I didn't know until Leon said it, was because I don't think anybody should be at the mercy of anybody else. And the only reason we do is because we don't know. And we don't feel strong enough, empowered enough, educated enough, talented enough, whatever it is enough of. So this is important. Get his book, you know, and, but now, take the chance. Call in, talk to us, ask him any questions. Do you have a question? I'm no. Uh, okay. Anything, 919-518-9773 or Computers 2K Voice. And please feel free to, um, Call, call into the, uh, right into the chat. So here's another question for you. Where does the money for the book go, the purchases? The, the money, uh, the, uh, the proceeds from uh, the book, uh, all of it, uh, go to, the organ to two organizations, actually. One in uh, the uh, Bay Area, San Francisco Bay Area, and one in San Francisco. And they are actually family and children organization that takes care of needy people and that money is dedicated to the survivors in need. Today there are not that many survivors but still a few probably close to 50 to 100 survivors in that area and uh, they are really hurting uh, so it pays for the taxis to take them to medical facilities for medications for food delivery at home, and that's where the money goes, all of it. So when you talk about survivors, you're talking about Holocaust survivors. Holocaust survivors, yes, and how you. And how many, and, and so we're talking about the, the, the survivors that have survived, they were, let's say children, are we talking, were children of the Holocaust, I mean, right? They would otherwise, because if it's 70 years ago, right? How many no, survivors, go ahead. They are, they are still they are still survivors right. who went to the camp. Right. Uh, you know, in our distress, we were lucky enough not to have been sent to a camp. So we are children survivors. But there's still some survivors who survived. Uh, they were taken when they were uh, 12 or 14 or even 18. Right. Not too many of those. Right. And and this is important to note because. You know, through my life, you know, when I would meet with the, with a child, a survivor, or a survivor, you know, that had the numbers on their arm, they didn't want to talk about it. So this is very important, and the work that Leon is doing and why he's doing it. So, Leon, thanks again for what you're doing. Um, and Rob is saying, as I stated earlier, he said, you are a fantastic person, Leon, with great character. No one penny goes to no one penny goes to him. He's so, biased. Of course he is, but now I'm biased too. So what the heck? We're in a we're in a we're in a group of bias, and we're all in a love a love bias. Amnon, go ahead. I I just have a comment. I, I was telling you about Jack Cooper in the beginning, and remember I w we met back in the early seventies, and one of the things that I'll never forget him telling me is he says. I envy you. And I said, why, Jack? He said, when somebody calls you a Jew, you put your head up. 
when somebody calls me a Jew, we were always taught to put our head down. And I hope at this point, if somebody calls you a Jew, you can put your head up, Leon. Indeed, I can. Good. Indeed, I can. Very good. So, so I just want to give a little um, background because Amnon, when I was telling him a little bit about Amnon, as you all know, is our producer. When I was giving him a little background today of doing the show, he told me a little story about a, a gentleman by the name of Jack Cooper who wrote a book called Child of the Holocaust. And he said that because of Mr. Cooper, he made it to the United States yep. from Israel. And so in the, in the near future, I'm going to be connecting with Mr. Cooper and um, having a show with him. But it, it just this whole day has been just amazing. So I just want to give you a little background. So... Leon, we only have another minute or two left. So in closing, what would you like to say? I would like to say that uh, Hitler and his demented followers and also their tremendous arsenal, the best in the world, the very best in the world, failed. Mm -hmm. Once more in history, Goodness triumphed over evil. I will never forget this wonderful family with whom I'm still in touch with or on almost on a weekly basis with their descendants who were not educated. You cannot get an education on being a hero in any schools, even in doctorate uh, program. This family has put their lives and the, life, the lives of their two sons, René, who was 20, Marcel, who was 17 at the time, in mortal danger, not for a second, for five minutes, but for three years. It's a long time. I also would like to say that for the sake of humanity, the Holocaust will never be, cannot be forgotten. And despite this recent history, there are still people who deny or who pretend to deny. It is not possible for me to believe that someone can deny the Holocaust with all the proofs and the witnesses that we have, but it is possible to pretend to deny. So we need to have our educators and our religious leaders to teach the lessons of the Holocaust, to teach the Holocaust, so that we prevent it from happening again and again and again. Well, there you have it. Uh, positive outweighs the negative, ultimately. Good outweighs the evil ultimately <sighs> what else can i say i can't say anymore i'm not help me out here no i mean that 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 is correct it's that this is what gives you the the strength to keep going because you can see some but you know you know, okay, you know what at the end of the line good is going to triumph good is going to triumph it has always happened in human history despite all the Despots, despite the dictators that we have seen, triumph, goodness always triumphed over evil. So it is so important, so important for especially our youth to understand, to believe that, and to read about it because that has happened for thousands of years. Yes. So, Leon, I want to thank you from every bone in my body, every cell that I have for being here today and for being how you are, you know, who you are, how you are, are, and just everything about you. And thank you for sharing with us your eyewitness account, your true eyewitness account of that time in history and for, for being able to share it in the in the kindness in the way that you do so that it it can be heard thank you i hope i can help 
and thank you to you, to Emnon, and to all the viewers and listeners. Thank you. And for all of you out there, just heed this. Watch, love, and care about each other. It's really important. So, we live on beautiful, yeah. I'm sorry to interrupt. No, we go ahead. A, we live on a beautiful planet and we need to keep it beautiful with beautiful people and love and care for each other. And, and you're hearing that from the all-time messenger. So with that, I want to thank you all for being here today and sharing this day, this moment with us. And we look forward to seeing you again in the future. I love you all. And Leon, I'm going to see you soon. I know it. Thank you. My pleasure. And thank you all for joining us on the chat. Rob and Elaine and Chris and everybody else down there, thank you so very much. We'll see you soon. You're tuned to the Nissan Communications Network. If you tuned in too late, you can always watch each program in its entirety or download an MP3 audio file of it in the archives section on nissancommunications.com. Don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel, follow us on Twitter, and like us on Facebook. Sponsored by Atomos.com, makers of quality video recorders and converters, CarolinaApparel.com, and DeltaForce.net.